We're in a series right now called DNA. It's about seven claims that a Christ follower can make. And it's all about answering the question of someone who might not be a Christ follower who would ask, how would I be better off if I followed Christ than I am right now? I think that's a fair question. And we're taking it head on. And we're in the middle of seven claims that a Christ follower can make. Now, just in the essence of full disclosure, I have to tell you, this is probably one of the most difficult messages I will ever preach, simply because the concept is a little hard to wrap our minds around. It's one of those things that we hear and we think, wow, what's that about? And yet, on the other side, there's a part of us that knows that it's true. Here is what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the fact that you and I are, in effect, two people. There are two major parts to us. There is a material part to us, and then there is a spiritual part of us that is soul and spirit. Now, we entered that last week. We talked about when you die, when your body dies, the part of you that is the immaterial part of you, the non-material part of you, soul and spirit, it's going to live forever. And we pulled that from a lot of places, but specifically from Jesus' comment, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So that part of you that is alert right now, that's hearing, that is you, that's choosing, that part of you is soulish in spirit, and it's never going to die. Now, here's how I think most of us approach that, and I think I can be this way sometimes. We hear that and we think, and that kind of weirds me out. You know, the idea that there's a part of me that's material, there's a part of me that's soulish in spirit. And, 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 and you know what happens is someday I'm going to die, and I really believe that that's true. I, I feel that I am going to keep on living, but I can't sort that out. I'm going to leave that to God. So when I die, what, he's going to do what he does, and my material part is going to go into a box and in the ground, or they're going to burn it up and spread the ashes somewhere, but the part of me that is me is going to keep on living. Well, the challenge of today's talk is that God is not going to give us room to go to that conclusion. In other words, God's not going to give us the liberty to say, I can't sort it out. It doesn't matter. When I die, God will sort it out. Because God now is going through his word to back us up and say, we have to pay attention to this while we're living. In fact, it is one of the most important concepts to help us know how to navigate life. And that's why I say this is a difficult sermon because I'm going to have to talk to us about living our lives, recognizing that there is a material part of us with its urges and its feelings and its wishes for creature comfort. And there is a spiritual part of us Now, our scripture today comes from the four chapters that all of these seven statements come from. 2 Corinthians chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. Today, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so, Paul now is going to make a huge statement. He is saying, this is why we never give up. In other words, what he's about to say is the reason why we never check out on life. And people do that in all kinds of ways. They do that in as light a fashion as just losing interest in things and as draconian as suicide. So we're, we're aware of the fact that under the pressures that we experience today, many people are giving up and quitting. Paul is saying, this is why we never give up. This is why a Christ follower never checks out on life. That is a huge preface. So Paul 
What are you going to say is the equivalent of that preface? Here it is. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Now, clearly, that's not talking about the point where we die. The verb form die there has an ing ending. Now, I was in my early 20s when I taught grammar, and I don't even remember most of the stuff that I used to teach, but we may have some English teachers here watching online or on television. And so you know that whenever you add ing to a verb form, it changes the the meaning of that word. If, if you turn that ing verb form into a subject, it becomes a gerund. But in our particular case, it's an adjective. And adding ing connotes continual action. So in other words, the Bible says these outer shells that we live in are in the process of dying. But it says our spirits are being, that's continuous action, being renewed every day. So think about that. This isn't about death. This is about living. God is saying our outer person is in the process of dying. Our inner person is being renewed every day. Now, I want to read this verse out of three translations. I just read the New Living, which is our primary translation here. Now I want to move to the Amplified translation. In case that's a new term to you, the Amplified translation will sometimes flesh out the meanings of some words. So let's look at this. We do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, or wearied out through fear. Though our outer man, or if you're a lady, your outer woman, it's just your outer person. Though our outer person is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed every day. And Paul said, that is why we don't give up. So, very clearly, Scripture is saying you have an outer person. You have a part of you that is material, as I said, with its feelings and desires and cravings and its wish for creature comfort. You have an outer person, and you have an inner person. Wow, that's heavy. What's the Bible talking about when it talks about your inner person? Well, a lot of people will say it's your attitude, you know. We have the outer person, and you have your attitudes, and your attitudes are sort of the filters through which you look at life. And when we think about the outer person aging and decaying and the inner person being renewed every day, we tend to focus on an older person who is still young. young and we even have an expression for that, don't we? Young at heart. So is that what we're talking about here? We love that. Some of you have a grandparent, you know, 70, 80 years old, but man, they're still, you know, they're, they're, st they're still excitable and still enjoying life. And, or maybe you have a friend that maybe, you know, is up in years, but they just still think young. And that's great. Uh, we love that. Uh, I was reading a story the other day that I really liked. There's a story of an elderly lady who was, but she was young at heart and she was dressed to the nines and she was driving her Mercedes S class. She went down to the mall to do some shopping and she was waiting patiently for a person to back out so that she would have a parking place. And when the other person got fully out of the parking place, he was getting ready to pull into the spot. But all of a sudden, this smart aleck kid in a new vet just pulled right in front of her. And, you know, she's doing this number, and the kid gets out, and he sneers at her as he walked past her window, and he said, sorry, old lady, that's how it is when you're young and quick. She took the 
pedal on that Mercedes and floorboarded it and just wiped out the back half of his vet. <laughs> and when he looked at her and screamed, she said, sorry, kid, that's how it is when you're old and rich. So when we talk about even though our outer person is like running down, our inner person is being renewed every day, are we talking about just attitude? Well, let me read the third translation. Last week, if you were in the service, I said, of course, the New Testament is written in Greek, and it's much more colorful and descriptive than English, and sometimes it's hard to bring Greek over into English. If you, if you love studying your Bible, let me recommend a good Bible tool for you. Kenneth Weiss was one of the greatest Greek scholars of the 20th century, and he has something called uh, Kenneth Weiss's Expanded Translation, which brings over a lot of the Greek meaning. So in this verse that we're trying to wrap our minds around that tells us, though our outer person is dying, our inner person is being renewed every day, let's read it in that Expanded Translation, and I think it'll help us understand what the Bible's talking about. Our outward self is progressively decaying, yet our inward self is being changed into a new kind of life fit for the new spiritual existence into which we have been ushered in salvation and constantly being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus day by day. That's more than attitude. When you were born the first time, you inherited a personhood from Adam. That part of you has a trajectory. When you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he came into your life, he formed a new part of you, and that part of you has a trajectory, which, by the way, you must have that in order to go to heaven. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That original personhood that you received from Adam is not enough for you to go to heaven. So here's the thing. In all of us here today, there is a part of us that we inherited from Adam. It's got a trajectory. There's a part of us that Christ has formed in us at the moment when we accepted him as Lord and Savior. And that part of us has a trajectory. Your outer person is bound for the ground. Your inner person is bound for glory. Let me say that one more time. Your outer person, no matter how chic and cool and good-looking and powerful it is, your outer person is bound for the ground. Your inner person, if you're a Christ follower, is bound for glory. This is why you can say, even though my outer person is aging, my inner person is getting stronger every day. Now, with that being true, there is a question that you and I are going to have to face. And that is, how am I going to invest my life here on earth. Am I going to invest my life in the outer person or am I going to invest the time that I have on this planet in my inner person? Well, let's talk about investing for a moment. I'm not a big investor. Some of you invest, probably all of us invest at some level. Anytime you invest, there are two concepts that are essential. There is the concept of the future and the concept of value. So just think about any investment, any stock you bought, or just even a savings account. Any investment that you make, you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about value. In the future, will whatever I have set aside here to invest, will it rise to the level of my satisfaction to have appropriate value? 
So consequently, anytime we invest, we're thinking about the future and value. We're asking the question, how am I going to invest the time I have here? If I've got 10 years, 80 years, 70 years, 45 years, I think probably all of us need to think about time we have left on the planet, Christ followers especially, and not just time we have left. We need to think about QTL, quality time left. So we need to consider today the question, given future and value, how am I going to invest the time? Am I going to invest it in my outer person or in my inner person? So let's weigh that. Let's start with this. Your outer person has value. By that, your body, the shape you're in, your appearance, it does have value. It determines a lot of things. Science has proven that your appearance can open doors and it can close doors. And we should take care of our bodies. I haven't been to a baseball game, pro baseball game, in a lot of years. And we were in Texas the other day, where Morales and I are from, and we went to a Ranger game. And I was watching as people were coming from the concession stand during the games, and they were carrying this, I guess it was food, <laughs> strange-looking stuff. It looked like there was junk covered in cheese goo. And, 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 you know, and it was so big, you're like wondering, is this for a family of eight? And then, you know, Americans are just like eating it. And then after they got finished, you know what they would do? They would go back and then somebody would come by hawking beer and they'd wash it down with a couple of beers. And I'm like, we really need to start taking better care of ourselves here in this country. And I'm sure if you're watching around the country, it may not be like America, but, or watching around the world, it may not be like America, but that's how we are here. But even if you take the very best care of your body, your outer person has some inescapable problems. One of those problems is, and I was reading a number of science journals on aging, one science journal said, and I'm giving this as a direct quote, our bodies are programmed to die. That's an interesting statement. Our bodies are programmed to die. We understand, of course, that the cells, the trillions of cells in our bodies replicate themselves. That is how life continues. But ultimately, old cells in our body will die because they can only divide a limited number of times. And the, that limit is determined by your genes. When a cell can no longer divide, it grows larger, it exists for a while, and then it dies. And here I find this really interesting. I love studying it. I can't really wrap my mind around it. But the mechanism that limits cell division involves a structure in your DNA called a telomere. Telomeres are like little fringes at the cap or the end of your chromosomes. Telomeres, and this is a great explanation, telomeres are sections of DNA that form protective caps at the end of chromosomes, a little bit like the plastic coating at the end of a shoelace. Without these protective tips, DNA gets damaged over time and the cells eventually fail to function properly. And every time, this is interesting to me, because I love studying DNA. Every time your cells divide, your telomeres get just a little shorter, and eventually the telomere becomes so short that the cell cannot divide. Scientists still do not know why we age. They understand the process of aging chemically, but no one really understands the why that we age. But the best explanation is these telomeres just get shorter and shorter until the cells cannot divide or they divide improperly and we have things like cancer. 
So somebody listening to this could say, well, Mark, that will happen when I get old. Another scientific journal I read this week said most bodily functions peak shortly before age 30 and then start going downhill. And then this headline from the London Telegraph that said old age begins at 27 as mental powers start to decline, scientists find. So I, I thought about that with the juxtaposition of Americans marrying older and older. And I thought, when you married that guy at 30, he's already in decline. <laughs> and you are right. He is not as bright as he once was. So I'm saying this. The, uh, we're talking, we're, here's the question that we're entertaining right now. How are you going to invest the rest of your life? You're going to invest it in the outer person? You're going to invest it in the inner person? Well, the outer person's important. We ought to do our best. We ought to eat the best we, could, we can eat. We need to exercise. We need to get plenty of rest. We need to take care of our bodies. But at the end of the day, I want you to understand that your outer person is a losing proposition. It's just not going to leave here in good shape. That is the nature of life. But for all of you who struggle in some fashion with your physical body, Maybe you struggle with because you are getting up in years and you just can't do what you used to do. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of physical illness. Maybe you're dealing with a physical limitation. Maybe you are dealing with an emotional disorder. So here is the thing that we need to understand. Paul is saying what is going on in the spiritual part of you is not what's going on in the material part of you. Because while the material part is in the process of dying, your spiritual part, your soul and spirit, if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, is being renewed. Paul said, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Now, what does that word renewed mean? Because I haven't used that 10 times in the last week. So I read that in the Bible, and I think it's probably a good thing that God is renewing my inner person, but what exactly is renewed? Maybe this will help. A few years ago, my wife said to me, I want you to watch a channel with me on television. It was HGTV. Now for me, if it's not part of the ESPN band of stations or Fox News or NFL Network, or Fox Sports rather, I, I just, I'm not really interested in it. But I love Mary Allen. So Mary Allen says, like, I would love for you to watch HGTV with me. This is about 10 years ago. And frankly, a lot of the stuff that I watched wasn't all that good. <laughs> there are people trying to cook and clean and do stuff, and I'm like, boy, and it was like watching paint dry. <laughs> well, one day Mary Allen came to me and she said, Mark, there's a show on HGTV that I think you would like. She said, first of all, it's a good show. And secondly, somebody, one of the stars on the show, you know real well. Okay. That was my introduction to Fixer Upper. And she was right. It was a good show. It's funny. And Joanna grew up in our church. She was a little girl in our church. Her dad's one of my best friends before they moved to Texas. So I love that show. And if you've ever watched Fixer Upper, and for those of you guys who haven't watched it yet, it's the story of a couple in Waco, Texas. They're kind of funny. They're kind of cool. They're both committed Christians. I know them both. I know, especially Joanna. And they take houses in Waco that are up in years, not too, not too in good a shape. 
but they take this house on as a project. And I love the part of the show where Joanna begins to dream about what the house could become. Now that part really gets me because oftentimes, you know, this is an ancient house and it's out of date and it's ugly, but she will sit down with her computer and start thinking, well now, if this wall was over here and if this part of the house was actually outdoor space and if we added on, and it isn't long before it's like this dream is really making a very different house. And then they go to work and they start tearing it down and bringing it in and bringing in the experts. And, and then there's that wonderful part of the show that we call the reveal. And one more time, if you've never seen the show, what they do is they take the people who are going to see their new house. And I got to be honest with you, I am a little bit skeptical. Waco's a small city. I can't help but wonder, did they drive by a few times and watch what was going on? But it is a cool part of the show because the, the couple is standing back and they can't see their new house because there is this huge wooden structure that presents the picture of what the house looked like when it was bought. And it's divided in the middle so that Chip and Joanna will each take an in and ultimately pull those ends back so that the couple can see their new house. And I love that part of the show because they always ask the question, are you ready to see your new house? And then it goes to commercial. I hate that. <laughs> What's that show about? In one word. It's about renovation. That's what that is. It's renovation. Did you know, when you look at that statement, though our outer person is dying, our inner spirit is being renewed every day, did you know that the Greek word for that means renovation? That's what it's all about. You see, following Jesus is so different from religion. Religion says, get your life all fixed up, come here, jump through the hoops, maybe God will accept you. That's so bogus. It's so far away from the Bible. The Bible says, come like you are. Come with the walls in the wrong places. Come with part of yourself deteriorating on the inside. Come like you are. And then when you come to God, then the great renovator, the Lord Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, begins to dream and say, that wall doesn't belong there anymore. That wall needs to go. And we need to have some new stuff in here. And we need to add on here. And, and after the Lord begins to dream in your life, then he, his Holy Spirit comes in and works. And day by day by day, God is renovating your inner person to be more like Jesus Christ. And ultimately, according to the book of 1 John, when he appears, the job will be complete, so complete that you will be like him, like him. That's what this is about. Paul said, that's why we never give up. Because what's going on on the outside is what's not, what, not what's going on on the inside. In fact, and I don't even know how to preach this. Sometimes when our outer person is getting worse, our inner person is getting stronger. And sometimes I wonder if the outer person doesn't have to get a little weaker so the inner person can become stronger. Michelangelo said, the more the marble disappears, the more the statue grows. So here's the question, and there's no getting around this. Are you going to use your outer person 
to serve your inner person? Or are you going to use your inner person to serve your outer person? One or the other is going to happen. Either a person is going to say, my outer person, how I look, how many followers I have on social media, my outer person of, uh, of how impressive I am, my outer person of creature comforts, me feeling what I want to feel and getting what I want. That person is so important. I'm, going to, I'm not going to worry about my inner person. I'm just going to invest in my outer person. Guys, this is why when we hear what actually happens in celebrities' lives, most of them that look so impressive on the outside are train wrecks on the inside. They are empty suits there is a reason for that. They have used their inner person to invest in their outer person. I want to read you two scriptures and I'll be through. One is a story that Jesus told. He is going to tell us about a person who used up his inner person investing in the outer person. In Luke 16, verse 19... There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. That's his outer person. And he lived in luxury. That's his outer person. Every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. His outer person is not so good. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. That's his outer person. And the angels carried his inner person to Abraham's side. The rich man also died. And his outer person was buried. I'm sure it looked real good in the casket. And everybody showed up to talk about what a great guy it was. Verse 23. In hell. Where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham a long way away. And Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime, that frame of time, that entity that you owned and were able to invest, in your lifetime, you received your good things because it was all about the outer person. Your inner person was invested in your outer person. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great big empty space. Those who want to go from, you, from here to you can't. And those who want to come from where you are to where we are can't. And that's the question. Think with me for just a moment. I mean, this is a silly, silly question, but suppose you own two stocks and you could know by some way that a week from now, one of those stocks is going to tank and the other is going to shoot up like a jet. <laughs> question, are you going to pull the money out of the one that's going to tank and put it in the stock that's going to go off the charts? <laughs> or would you pull your money out of the one that's going to go boffo and put it in the one that's going to tank? That's what happens when we let the inner person live for the outer person. It's like pulling the money out of the stock that's going to explode and putting it in the stock that's going to tank. It's like buying Enron back in the day. Well, what would it look like for the people who use the 
outer person to invest in the inner person. I want to read to you out of the book of Psalms. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Or some translations, I think better translations will say they, they dig a well. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now somebody can say, well, Mark, did you accidentally read the wrong verse? I can't really tell what you're getting out of that. Okay, work with me for a second. The Bible says there are people in the world who get their strength from God. And oftentimes, they wind up going through a valley, the valley of Baca. That doesn't mean a whole lot to you and me, but the word means a valley of deep, grinding suffering. And Scripture says something interesting. Not only do they make it through, they manage to dig a well in that difficult time, that refreshes other travelers who come along. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here today, your life has been changed by somebody who got her strength from God, and even though she went through many difficulties, she not only managed to get through those difficulties, but she managed to invest in your life along the way. And the Bible says there are people like that, that their outer person may go through a valley of suffering, but they get their strength from God. And did you catch that expression? They go from strength to strength until they appear before God because, see, their inner person was getting stronger every day. Because this theme is so challenging I'm ashamed to say I haven't preached on it in 20 years. Isn't that something? So knowing that I was going to preach this theme, I, I reached out to our senior administrative pastor, and I said, Dan, I don't even know if we can find this old message. I said, I'd like to hear what I said 20 years ago. And that's kind of an interesting experience because those of you who are New Springers, you know the biggest sermon of my life is the one I preach next week. <laughs> the biggest series is the one upcoming. I've, I've preached 150 series in the last 15 years. And so to go back 20 years, I can't even remember what I said. And, and you would find this interesting. If enough time elapses since I preached a sermon, I can sit and listen to it like I'm listening to a stranger. Sometimes I'll watch an old sermon that I'm preaching and think, well, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> so I watched the sermon. There really wasn't a whole lot that was that good in it, you know. But I got to the end and I told a story, much of which I'd forgotten. When I preached the sermon 20 years ago, the previous day I had been in Texas, actually flew back the night before, late Saturday night. I'd been in Texas preaching the funeral for my mother-in-law's brother. And I was talking about how our outer person can be dying, but our inner person is renewed. My mother-in-law had had a serious stroke. I talked about her last week. She had a serious stroke just a few months before her brother, who was very close to her, died. And the day before I preached that message, I'd been in Texas conducting his funeral. And I told about that moment, and if you've gone to a funeral lately, you know how it is, when they bring the casket in and the family walks behind the casket and they go to the family section. And I'm standing on stage getting ready to preach, and I'm watching Mary Alice's family come in, and suddenly there's a break in the line, and I realize the reason why there's a gap in the line is my mother-in-law is struggling with her cane to get to the chair. 
What I'd forgotten was that I had actually been in Texas the week before when Pete had his stroke. Mary Alice and I were with her sister Sandy and her husband Garrett. We were in their home, and the phone call came that my mother-in-law's brother, Pete, with whom she was so close, had had a massive stroke and that he was brain dead and he wasn't going to get through the night. And family members reached out to me and said, would you go tell mom because she doesn't know. And we all, of course, were worried because of her own physical condition. Have you ever had to tell somebody bad news and when you walk in, they don't know you have bad news? I've been there a lot of times, but this was with my precious mother-in-law. And I walked in her house, and she saw Sandy Garrett. Sandy Garrett, Mark. So I went over on the couch, and I sat down beside her, and I took her hand. And I said, Mom, I got some bad news about Pete. He's had a massive stroke. There's no brain function. And he's going to die tonight. There was a catch in her voice. But instead of breaking down, she started telling me a story. My mother-in-law did not grow up in a Christian family when she was young. There was no exposure to God or church. But she said, when I was 10 and Pete was 12, we went to a little revival meeting in Weatherford, Texas, and we heard the sermon And she said, even though we were children, we were really impacted by it. And not having been to church, we didn't know what to do. So she said, we came home, and I found a hymn book that was in the house and a Bible. And she said, I thumbed through the hymn book, and I knew the old rugged cross, so I went through the verses of the old rugged cross. And then she said, I looked for some scriptures to read, and I read them with Pete that night. And she said, for the first time in my life, I tried to pray. She said, the following Saturday, and you have to understand this is in the worst part of the Depression. The following Saturday, she said, it fell her lot to go into Weatherford and buy bologna and bread for sandwiches for the family. And she had a dime to do it with. And she said along the way as she walked into Weatherford on this hot Texas day, she began to think about how good mustard would be on a bologna sandwich, but she was afraid she didn't have enough money. And so she tried this newfangled thing in her life of prayer. Now, again, she's telling me the story while I'm holding her hand, having broken bad news to her. And she said, I pray, God, when I get to the store, (laughs) would you let there be enough money for bread and bologna and mustard? But she said, when I got there, there was just enough money for bread and bologna. And she said, I wasn't angry at God. I was just disappointed. She said, I prayed expecting something to happen. She said, as she was walking home barefoot in the sand, the sun fell upon something that glinted in the ground, and she reached down to pick it up, and it was a dime. And she said, for the first time in my life, I knew that God cared about a little girl. And she said, I went over under a tree, and as best I knew how, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
I knew what she was saying to me. She was saying Pete's outer person is going to be gone tonight. And I think even more so, it was her way of saying to us that she knew her outer person was never going to be right again. But her outer person was not her inner person. And while her outer person may have had a stroke, when she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ, that started something in her life that was on a trajectory that a stroke or cancer or diabetes or anything else, it was a part of her that nothing else could ever compromise. And that part of her got stronger every day. And even though she passed through the valley of Baca and left a well for the rest of us, she went from strength to strength until she appeared before her Savior. Can you honestly say you're getting stronger every day? Not if it's all about shell. That part of you is bound for the ground, but there's a part of you that's never going to die. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today's the day. Today's the day. Do what my mother-in-law did. As a 10-year-old girl under a tree in the hot sand of Weatherford, Texas, when she recognized that God cared about her, it wasn't about the bologna and mustard. It was about the fact that God cared for her. He cares for you. And he wants to start a renovation project in your life so that someday when you get to heaven, God's going to pull back. He's going to pull back those pictures and you're going to see who you really are in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? If you want that to happen in your life, whether you're in South Auditorium here, North Auditorium, watching online, watching on television, you can pray with me. And all God is looking for from you is an invitation an invitation into your life to believe that he died for you, Jesus died for you, to believe that he rose from the grave and that if you commit your life to him, he will come into your life. Here's a prayer. I'll pray it slowly. You can decide if you want to pray it with me. Dear God, I know I am a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Please forgive me and start your work in my life. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, if you just prayed that prayer, you just made the biggest decision of your life. We, we want to come along. We, we, we want to walk with you in these first steps. So here's the thing. We've got a gift box for you. It's free. It won't cost you anything. There's a Bible just like I preach from for you. There's a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. There's some, just some cool stuff. It's our way of saying we're excited for your decision and, and we want to help. So it's free. All you got to do is go to any info center all around the campus and just say, I pray with Mark. That's all you got to say. I pray with Mark. They won't hassle your stock. You ask for your routing number or anything. They just want to give this to you. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next weekend.